This is Nick. I'm here with a good friend of mine, man, Mr. Ty Reed. And just before we get started and dive into this conversation this evening with my brother Ty, man, I just wanted to just let you know a little bit about where he's from, some of his background, so it can set a context, set some kind of landscape for kind of where this conversation is going to go. So my friend Ty, he's originally from New Jersey and where area? Patterson? Not Patterson. Jersey City, baby. Jersey City. Golly, yeah. how did I forget that? It's in the name, right? <laughs> So Jersey City is from Jersey City, New Jersey. Ty, he's been an emergency medical technician for more than 20 years. He, from the age of 16 all the way up to age 36, he was an EMT. He was also a army veteran, served 10 years in our army, man, and serving our country. So definitely want to thank him for that. And man, I think this is going to be a really good conversation. I think that what we're going to dive into today and talk about is really have a conversation around two issues and they I feel like connect to each other. Number one is having the, the conversation about PTSD. I know me, myself as a veteran, myself, I know Ty as a veteran, this conversation around PTSD is a huge conversation, it's a conversation we need to have. And we're going to talk about a little bit about PTSD and then we're going to dive into some of the things that we've both kind of dealt with when it comes to anxiety and having to deal with that. Ty, man, I'm glad to have you on with me, man. How's everything going, bro? Man, it's great. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir, man. Yes, sir, man. Hey, yeah. thanks for taking the time, bro. Thanks for yeah. sitting with me, man. I think this is going to help a lot of fellas out. When we initially talked about this, I was thinking to myself and how I even presented it to you. One of the things that you had mentioned was that this type of conversation where we're talking about men, where we're talking about their mental health, things that they're dealing with, this is a conversation that I don't feel like a lot of us as men are having and willing to talk about. So that's why I wanted to talk about it and just get your opinion on it, get your experience on it. Yeah. Um, and I think that will help with other men to understand that things that we're facing or things that we're going through and things that we're dealing with, man, is just not, it's not isolated to just us. You know what I'm saying? There's other men that are going through it and we're kind sure. of going through it. So let's start at the beginning. So, yeah. So Ty, you said you, so you were, you said you were an emergency medical technician since 16 years old. Like what got you into becoming an EMT that, that young? Funny story about this, man. So, uh, at 15, 16, I started being a knucklehead acting up in school and uh, it was suggested that my mom sign me out of regular high school and go to an alternative high school. Like I, I was just being a knucklehead. So at that alternative high school, you get a, you get the a high school diploma program as well as a work program. And the work program that they had available was volunteering at a rescue squad. We manned an ambulance for the city of Plainfield, the town of Plainfield, New Jersey. It was a volunteer rescue squad through the, through the New Jersey city university. That's what it was at the time. We volunteered, we manned volunteer ambulances. And we got some on-the-job training. Like I said, I was 16 years old, and I was just a just a a volunteer, just a observer, a first responder. They call us. And then I love I love the business. I love the job. I love the people. I love helping people. And really, man, that's really what saved my life. I was in that program. I got. I became an EMT. I learned how to be a professional. I learned how to be to take care of people. I learned. Best I met. I, I grew up in the projects, man. I was just rough, 
a little, I was a pencil. I was this big. I was rough and tough. Yeah, still a pencil, though. But now I learned how to, I was rough and tough, but I, I learned how to be professional. I learned bedside manner. I love, learned how to be a servant to people, which not to get too churchy or anything like that. That's, that's what I found my life to be as a servant. That was like, that was the foundation of servitude to me. Okay. That's always introduced to it. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that man, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And when you think about it, and, and I think it's a good thing too, at that young of an age, cause you said you were about 16 years old sometimes, man. And I, and I feel like that happens a lot. I think the same thing happened to me too, man. I was younger and I was like, man, what am I going to do? Yes. Yeah. And I was just wilding out, just acting crazy. And if I wouldn't have found the military, if I wouldn't have, I guess if the military wouldn't have found me, right. kind of got me into that, that, that position, that space, man, who knows where I would have turned out. But right, man. the thing that I think about, like when you mentioned that man at 16 years old, so you're dealing with, so, all right, so you're helping with this rescue squad. So at 16 years old, are you like, and I lived in New Jersey for a little bit. I lived in like Northern New Jersey, which is like the suburbs, but I stayed in like Patterson for a little while. So yeah. I know that there's some different parts of Jersey. You're yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. So, at, at, in, and Jersey City is kind of like one of those areas. Definitely. So, definitely. so at 16 years old, my thing is being 16 years old, man, and you're like seeing a lot of these emergencies and a lot of these different things happen. How do you think that that kind of affected you at that young of an age? Man, it's so funny you say that because that's one of the main things, man. At the age of, at, I would say at 17, 17, I was released at, on my own. 16, I was still... I still needed a chaperone for most things. At 17, the trainer wheels came off. So you figure 17 years old, man, I'm, <laughs> I can't even buy a pack of cigarettes in the store. I can't, I don't have, a, I'm not old enough to vote, but I'm old enough to, was so on CPR, I'm, I've, at this age, I was a triage. I was triaging people. I was telling, I had to tell, make a decision on your emergency is not as important as this person who's about to die. So I have to leave you to, hey, listen, you might die versus take care of this person versus I was left with that decision to make at 17 years old. Now, granted, it was a team effort. You always had a partner, but hey, look, these are life or death decisions I'm making. And right. you get the training, you're well-trained, you're well-trained. And you have every, you do everything that you need to do, but you're still only 17 years old. You're, you don't have, you don't have a mature mind. You don't have, you're mature, but you don't have a, that type of not a wisdom yet. And, and until I was probably in my early twenties, this was like, a, this was like a game to me I, it, because I didn't have, I didn't have the mental capacity to see it for what it really was. This was like. Man, I'm bored. I, I hope there's a bad accident so I can have something to do. You don't realize, you know, it, to, to you it's a job. To you it's just so whatever. But these are like real people lives that are that are big. For 20 years, I was the person to show up for your worst day of your life. The worst day of your life happened two or three times a day for me. So, uh, it was, it, it, it's good or in a sense that I had that mentality where it's just, oh, it's just another game because if not, I would be a bubbling fool right now because the, the emotional toll that it takes on you to respond to these type of calls. I say, you got to say, God, 
protect the fools and the babies. Oh, yeah. baby, you just protect it because, yeah, man. That's crazy. So yeah. now, would you say, because like a little bit of what I'm hearing you say too is that, I mean, at that, for 20 years, having to make that decision and just the way that you just worded that, like for you, it was like an everyday thing. It's the everyday thing that we got to show up. Yeah. For the person on the other side of it, it's probably like the worst day of their life, exactly. right? Because usually exactly. when people get into a car accident, because you, you were mostly dealing, you were mostly dealing with everything, like car Every, accidents, anything. You name it. Car accidents, yeah. uh, regular sick calls, heart attacks, strokes, and then you have the shootings, the stabbings. Yeah, and, yeah that's crazy. Uh, you, you have hangings, suicides. And then 9-11, I was there not for 9-11, the World Trade Center. Okay, you talk know? to me a little bit about that. Because I, I didn't even realize that. Like, how did that, how did, because how, number one, how old were you when that happened? I was a 20-year-old. I was a 20-year-old EMT. I had been in the business four years by this time. And uh, it's so crazy that morning. I get a call from my mom, because we live right, right across the river. I can literally look down the street and see what was going on. And uh, I get a call from my mom. I was still sleeping. Hey, uh, did you see the news? No. She said, yeah, I heard a train just crash into the World Trade Center. I'm like, train just crashed? Like, hey, wait. Because we got just trains that, that goes under there. So I, I turn the TV on. And I'm like, what is she talking about? And it says, as then I see her video of a plane flying through. I'm like, oh, crap. So I jump up. I throw my uniform on. I call the office. Answer the phone. Hey, it's Ty. Hey, get here now and click. So it was one of those numbers. So you, when all that happened, you weren't even like, you weren't thinking like, cause I remember when that day happened, I was in college and I was right. eating some chicken. I was, I, I was eating chicken, bro. I was, I, I remember bro. I was in the cafeteria in college and I was eating some wings and I seen yeah. all this stuff and I was like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. But for you, when that, all that stuff happened, you basically were, you were like, Okay, it's time for me to get to work. It's, like it's it wasn't even like a it wasn't even like a right. wow. Yeah. So Man, that's crazy. So my assignment with uh, on that day, my assignment was we got our ambulance. We, we drove down to the Jersey City waterfront, which is at the waterfront of the Hudson River. We're looking right across at the at the World Trade Center. We're watching it, and uh, they were shuttling just herds of people on boats from Lower Manhattan over to Jersey City to us. And we go down there, they said, I was at 2nd Street, go to 2nd Street. And they said, hey, they got a boat coming over there with some injured people. I, we get down there, there's boats of people, not just injured people. And so we got severely injured. We got people who were just evacuated, were just covered with soot. People with nicked small bruises, cuts, and we had I had a firefighter with a fractured back who had to, and Henry Ford and the Ford company pretty much revolutionized factories. They had, they got a conveyor belt. They came up with the conveyor belt and everything is just clockwork. In EMS, we have the same thing. It's a triage system. A person, we get an injured person, they get a tag, red, yellow, green, or black. Black is dead. Red is severely injured. Yellow is minor injuries and green is like walk, walking wounded or no injuries at all. We were getting those and it's just, okay, I'm here. I'm staging. I'm taking everyone. I'm putting a tag on them. I'm sending them to the, their designated area, the green zone, the red zone, yellow zone, black zone. 
at that station, a person will be there at the, let's say, the red zone, the red zone severely injured. They package them up, bandage them, an ambulance pull up with their stretcher. We put them on that stretcher, put them in the ambulance. You go to this hospital. The next one, same thing. You batch them up, put them in the next ambulance. You go to that hospital. And it's just like a conveyor belt. I'm going to touch you. I'm going to put up, I'm going to check you and see what type of injuries you have. Red, green, yellow, black. Give you that tag. You get treated for that. You go into the ambulance, you go to that hospital. So it's just amazing how that happens. So that was my day for first probably seven or eight hours. You've seen everything from just people just covered with dirt to severe injuries, broken bones, ferns, you name it. And then after that, my partner and I, we, we got off probably around 1 a.m. And then my partner and I, we drove our, per our personal vehicle through the tunnel, through the Holland Tunnel, we, where there was armed National Guardsmen guarding the tunnel. What are you doing here? What do you want? We should show our credentials and say, hey, we're going over to the World Trade Center to help. They let us through. We got down there. We've been there. We're right at, literally right across the river. So we've been to the World Trade Center maybe 100 times apiece. We get down there. No electricity. All electricity is out. There's this dust, just constant dust is just still falling. And we're trying to navigate our way. We parked somewhere and we had to walk the rest of the way. And we couldn't remember how to get there. It was just like a totally different place. We get there. We finally make it there. We go, hey, listen, we're here to volunteer. We're here to show up. This FDNY captain or lieutenant, I forget his rank. He said, hey, listen, you guys are search and rescue. Hand us body bags to say, you're on parts recovery. Take these body bags. If you find any parts, put them in a body bag. Once they're full, you bring them back and get another one. So that was our thing. We go through this New York City Sports Club. New York City Sports Club is like a gym, a fitness gym. You walk through there. There's, a, you know, the windows are blown out. The whole, all the equipment is covered with this thick, filmy soot just ash and debris and you so you go in you walk through one of the windows that's blown out you climb a flight of stairs there's a hole blown out of the side of the stairwell you walk come out of that hole and you're standing on top of rubble that what that once was a building and this this is probably you climb up and you were probably about 10 to 15 stories high looking down at just rubble and they say all right Here's a body bag. Go find some uh, fine body parts and you're going to bring it back to the staging area and get a new body bag. So that's how my day started. That's how my evening started, my early morning. Well, so, well, my thing is, man, at 20 years old, when you have to do all that, how, like, what, and I'm sure it's probably hard to think back on it now, but at that point, what? are you even thinking like, are you even thinking, am I supposed to be like, you know what I mean? What's going through your mind, bro? I'm like thinking to myself, like, all right, a guy hands me a bag and he's, hey, yeah. body parts. You've done small mass casualties. That whole triage system, you've done it at a small level. Three car, car, uh, three car accident, you got multiple patients. On a small scale, how it's supposed to be. Now you multiply that by a thousand, now it's a huge scale. <clears throat> like I said, at 20, even at 20 years old, I'm still, this is adrenaline junkie. This is adrenaline rush. This is fun. This is uh, exciting. But then you get a body bag handed to you and they say, hey, fill us up with body parts and come back. And then 
while you're up there, oh yeah, by the way, be careful of sinkholes because there's some holes that if it doesn't feel too sturdy, don't walk with it because you can drop down and fall into one of these sinkholes. Now I'm like, okay, yeah, this is serious. Yeah, this, this is serious. Okay. Nobody told me I had to sign it. And just some of the things you see, I was there where they, everybody's, everybody's working diligently. I mean, you're working hard, you're digging up stuff, you're searching and calling out and you hear a voice. I'm like, we got something. Everybody runs this one location. We're all trying to dig out. And uh, man, I never forget this one time. So you and I both in the military, we know chain of command and why they have their people have blue shirts on it. Then their commanders, their, their higher ups have white shirts. So the white shirt will pull this one guy out. It's a white shirt. This guy is a cap, a captain, a chaplain, rather. And uh, this is a priest, more likely a priest, Catholic priest. He has the, the collar, the cross on his collar. And the, uh, the other collar has like a captain bars or battalion chief. I don't remember the ranking at, off the top of my head. But I never forget the white shirt with the gold insignias. And he had his helmet on. The helmet was melted to his head. His fire helmet was melted to his head and his hands were clenched. His cheeks were, he was clenching down and or his side, you can see it was open. His cheek was open and you can see his teeth just clenching down and his hands balled up like this. And part of his hand was chopped off. So it was like one was clenched. The other one was missing some fingers and this God awful Oh no! You hear this scream like someone like, gosh, he's dead. And just the wrong men, firemen, tough guy, police officers crying. That did something to me that day. It was like, man, these are big, strong, manly men crying. And just that God awful, oh no! Yeah. That scream you heard is ah, piercing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and at 20 years old, have you, had you ever heard, have you, had you ever heard anybody or have you ever seen any kind of experiences like that? Where you've seen like dudes that were like, yo, what in the world is going on here? Like I said, I, I liken it to the, to the car accident. It was a small, small scale. I've seen people die in the car accidents. I've seen shootings. I've seen stabbings. I've seen, I've been around dead bodies. I had CPR saves where I saved some lives. I had some CPR when they didn't make it. So I've I've had some heartache. Oh man, they didn't make it. I really tried my hardest. But this was like, this was, this was like every nightmare, every war movie you see actually living through that. It was unbelievable. Just unbelievable, fast paced. You got scary to your left. You got scary to your right. It's like, Everywhere you look, it's, man, that's, that's, I'm afraid. This is so proud. So like, man, I'm afraid. But you had to push it down. I see the saying somewhere, bravery is not the act of, uh, it's not being afraid, but bravery is being afraid and performing anyway. And that's what it was. You know, I'm scared to death. There's people that need my help. And there's people out here who is just as scared as I am. And they're doing it too. So I got to do my part. That's all I was telling myself. And that was how I was able to get pushed through. Yeah. So I think you made a really good point that I think about a lot. Like a lot of times we'll hear people say, you just made that statement. You said, okay, bravery is the, is 
being scared, but being able to push through. Yeah. At that age, at that age, when you're seeing all of this stuff happening, do they train you for to see it? Because, uh, like you said, it's on a small scale. Right. It's okay. Yeah, I could deal with a car accident, two, three people. But when you're seeing all this stuff happen, you're like, whoa, what the heck? Ain't nobody really set me up for this at all. Right. There's, there's no way in the world, there's no simulation, just like war. There's no simulation for that. There's no simulation for. I've been into countless war si uh, simulations. This is after. And when you actually go through it, like Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth, all right? Punch in the mouth with a series, man. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. What do I do next? You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Hey, so then nothing really even prepares you for that. So then after all of that happens, because I know everybody, obviously at the time, we're all dealing with the after effects of 9-11. We're looking at, dang, how could they do this? How did this happen in our own country? For y'all, like being boots on the ground, like we're just watching it on TV. Like I was all the way in Florida. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yes, this is all happening, but it's not the same as what you're experiencing. Yeah. When you walked away from that experience, like maybe not like obviously immediately after that, maybe a few weeks or months after that, did the EMT, the folks that you work with, did they have anything to say, hey, we know this has happened. We know people saw some crazy stuff. Let's like work with people. Or was it just, well, we got to keep working. This is part of our job. Like, how did it go when that happened? Man, so we have the critical incident team. So it was like, we had psychiatrists, ther therapists, and things like counselors come to, they specialize in, in big group stuff like that, stuff, when stuff like that happened. Even if on a smaller level, if there was like a terrible car accident and you're dealing with it, you have voluntary things like that, and then it's not voluntary. Everybody's required to go to this training or this, uh, this meeting. And man, in this meeting, it was the most solemn, most... You get a bunch of sailors, soldiers, and first responders in a room together. And it's like a bunch, it's a joke. This was not a joke. This was everybody quiet as a church. You can hear a pin drop in this room and just pe different people sharing. And I'm glad we're doing this because this reminds me of that. Being able to see someone else was feeling the way I was feeling. Yeah. Someone was uh, older than me, someone more established, 20 years in the business. And they're still affected by this. Let me know that it was okay for me to feel what I was feeling. It was okay. What some people who I looked at as superheroes in that business cry. And I'm like, man, okay, it's okay to cry. It's not a weird thing. It's, it's, it's natural. React the way that I uh, feel the way I'm feeling and react the way I reacted. So it was great to see that. And it was, I don't, I can't remember much of what the counselors were talking about. But the real counseling for me at the time was being around my peers who've been, who experienced it with me, who was expressing their feelings, who was the same feelings I've had and felt and just different reactions. So that was my counseling and it, it was great to me. Gotcha. Now, do you think having that experience led you into joining the military? Like with that, cause you know, like I know like in being in the military too, going through some hard stuff with a group of guys and then having other guys be like, or guys or girls, whatever, having everybody in your, like your squad or your little platoon 
going through it all the same. Do you think that's seeing some of that kind of led you to saying, okay, I want to join the military or what was it that kind of got you on the military path after seeing some? So September 11th, 2001 happened. I was raising my right hand and swearing it to the army January 26th, 2002. So I didn't so even wait, bro. You were like gone, bro. I'm yeah, gone. Yo, I'm going to do something. I was like, man, they, that was my hideaway. Like I used to drive down to Jersey City waterfront and just park there and, and either an ambulance or my car and just, just stay, just watch, look at my building. This was my, one of my safe places. One of my, uh, we had just, I could just go and relax and get peace of mind. Now I remember the very next day, September 12th. I'm at one of my spots where I used to stand and I'm watching these burning, these buildings burn. And for weeks after you can see smoke billowing from this site from ground zero. And uh, this man, I, I, every day I was reminded of it for probably about three months. And the smells of oh, the next day, the smell of burning flesh. I, there was a, I guess a westward wind blowing towards from Manhattan into New Jersey and you just smell burning flesh for weeks Dang. and this man that's what caused me to raise my hand and swear into the military at least so really so what i'm hearing you say is that the military non like what happened in 9 11 kind of pushed you into being like okay i want to go fight for my country like i want to do this gotcha and then i would just imagine that seeing what you guys seen in 9 11 yeah. You're like hyped up. You're like, nah, there's no way you can come to my country. Exactly. And just do exactly. This. exactly. Just, okay. So what'd you do when, when you joined the military, when you joined the army, what'd you do when you were in the army? So I was military police. <laughs> army, military police. That's Golly. So you went from yeah. EMT to military police. So you just, exactly. you, you just wanted all the action pretty much. <laughs> right. Hey. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, Joined the military police and man, one of my first deployments was Operation Endure Freedom and Egypt and Sinai, Egypt. This is like on the Sinai Peninsula and I'm in between Jordan and Africa, Egypt. So this part of Egypt is actually on Southwest Asia. And I was, you know, so in between there, but it was a great experience, man. Great experience. And this was right during the time where Egypt Israel and I guess the state of Palestine, the, uh, the Gaza strip where those, that oh, I've been through the off. Gaza strip. Yeah. It's hot bro. It's hot over there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I went on some deployments and I've been through like, like Israel. I've been to Haifa. Like when they like yeah. you're walking through, you're walking through these towns, bro. And you're just like, bro, you can tell that they had some yes. war, yes. just crazy stuff. And I was like, man, I ain't going on no buses going on. Nothing. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. So y'all were in. So when you were in the military, especially as a military police, so military police, they had you guys over there doing some, I would imagine like detainee stuff, like just a lot of hands on, like y'all are in the mix as military police, I would imagine. For sure. On my deployments, we didn't do a lot of, we didn't do a lot of police stuff. We did convoy security. We did protective service details protecting different dignitaries or high-ranking military officials. So anyone colonel and above, we were their security, their heads on security. We did a little quick reaction for someone calls up with an emergency, we're standby. 
24 hours standby, jump in a vehicle and go to where the trouble is. And we, we were pretty, pretty much in the mix of it in Egypt and in Iraq. I was in, in that conflict as well. So yeah, well, that was, that was a big deal. Yep. Yeah. That's crazy. Man. All right. So now and I'm glad you told a lot of story. I know I've heard some of it before, but just seeing the timeline is crazy to me. Cause I'm like, okay, you experience, you go into EMT number one, super early, super yes. young. Yes. You're experiencing like stuff that a 17, 18 year old, normal 17 right. year old can't handle that. And then now you're making all these decisions that they're like, okay, you got to think fast. You got to do this. Yeah. Then you go into the military and in the military, you're going into the military at a time where we're heavy in a war. We're heavy sending two troops of, everywhere. Two yeah, more. Two of them. Two of them. Two wars. So then you get out and then it's because, because, because you said you did 10 years in the military, but then you get out. And I think my thing that I think about is just even listening to your story is if I were to, if I were to had experienced some of that stuff early on and then go into the military, then be involved in these type of wars, I'm sure you probably saw a lot of stuff where you were just like, how the heck do I process this? Like, how do I make sense of what I'm seeing? And then on another level, it's, and I think this is where we can segue into PTSD and stuff like that, where it's like, I saw all this stuff as EMT, and then I seen all this stuff as in the army. I'm sure that after all of this, you're just like, I might be wrong. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like <laughs> listening to the story and I'm like, yo, there's, it's hard to walk out of that and be like, okay, I'm just going to normally go back into civilization. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and, exactly. um, I feel like it, it's hard. It would be hard to do that. Was that something that you struggled, like felt or dealt with once you transitioned out of all of those different roles? For sure. Definitely, man. So I dealt with it and I'm still dealing with it. When you say yeah. dealt with it, what you mean? Like Pete, like, like as so, far as. But as far as PTSD, Got yeah, you. I try. I'm a real, I'm a thinker. I'm always in my head. I'm always trying to figure out why something happens. Why I'm, I, I got to take things apart. I got to pick any situation, even with physical objects. I take it apart, see how it works and try to put it back together. Sometimes success, sometimes not. So I'm with these PTSD, with these images that keep popping up, these feelings that keep popping up. I'm like, man, why is it there? So I, the, what I gather, and this is based off of some things I've heard and read and things like that. Your brain has, your memory has like a filing system. You got happy memories go here, sad memories go here, anger, this one, all these different, you got different filing cabinets, right? So when you have an incident where it's just like too much, it's like, where does this, where do I file this? And it's, I don't have a place. I don't have a place for this. So it just keep painting. Don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. And it just keep repairing. And with that, the feelings that you felt during that time, like that suppressed fear that you pushed down, man, this thing is coming back. Now, here I am. I'm a real estate agent. I've been out in the military since 2012. So what's that? 10 years. I've been out 10 years and I've been out of EMS for maybe five years or six years. And 
I still like I'm at a, I'm at my desk, a safe desk. I'm fine. Nobody's gonna hurt me there. The worst I'll get is a paper cut or stuff in a staple. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting at my desk and I gotta tell someone, "Hey, we have to move your closing date from this Friday to next Friday." And now my heart is pounding. I'm fearful. I'm sweating. I'm about to have a panic attack because those feelings, that conversation that I know I'm dreading to have is reminded me of that time I was afraid of running into a burning building or um, uh, there's an upside down car that I have to climb into to help get them out of. And my heart is beating fast and I'm nervous and I'm sweating and starting to hyperventilate. And I'm about to have a full on panic attack about having a conversation about moving the closing date that they made to say, oh, that's okay, Ty, oh, that's cool. Uh, that could be the, that could be the, or it's oh, man, we really gotta move it, okay. There's nothing else we can do. But now I'm about to, <laughs> and it's all rooted, it's all rooted in a fear that I suppressed years ago. It's coming back now. I'm like, I don't know how to handle it now. Yeah, that bro, it's so crazy that you said that. I'm just being transparent here. Yeah. I'm gonna, so part of the one of the reasons that I stepped back from real estate was because of that. Like a lot of times, and not just real estate, but just I would find myself in these situations where there's no real threat physically. But because of things that I dealt with in my past and like, obviously like my things that I dealt with in my past aren't the same as yours. You know what I mean? Like, course, I, have, the same. I have like trauma from childhood and just growing up and things that I've dealt with. Yes. You can't even move it forward. But bro, I remember being in those spots, man, where I was like, you're thinking like it's a life and death situation when it's really not a life and death situation. And it's crazy because. Here's what's wild about it. And this is why I feel like it's important to have these conversations is you're sitting at your desk and you're freaking freaking out and you're probably not going to tell anybody. You're not going to say it to anybody because it's who are you going to tell? Who are you going to say, Hey bro, I got to change this closing date. And they're like, just call them. And you're like, I remember a lot of times, bro, in transactions, I would call, I would talk to my wife and be like, Hey babe, I got to do this and that. And she'd be like, all right, just call him and tell him you got to do it. And I'm like, what do you understand? Like, I'm freaking out here. Like, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I feel like that's why these conversations are important because I think that a lot of times that's what PTSD would do to you. I feel like when you talked about it, and I wrote this down, and I've never heard it put in that way, whereas we have these experiences and your mind is thinking, okay, where do I file this experience? Like, where do I put this experience? Is this something that scared me? Is this something I could learn from? Where, where do I put this file? Yeah. But with a lot of traumatic experiences, our brains can't even freaking understand, like, where to even put it in the first place. Because what did I say? It's supposed to be happening. <laughs> Your brain right? is like, what did I just see? <laughs> and But here's my thing that I think, and I appreciate you sharing that, but here's the thing that I think that that is so important is that I can probably imagine that, and this is just from my own experience. For me, those type of experiences were happening on like a daily basis where it was like, not, it might not have been a transaction. It might've been something else. Yeah, It might've been, but we almost go into, and let me know what you think on how that is, but it's almost sometimes we'll go into when there's a situation that comes up we'll go into this shell where it's like the trauma almost says like, all right, I'm going to take over this whole situation 
And before you know it, you're doing crazy. Like you're acting in a way, saying things that you had no idea and you don't know where the heck they're coming from. Was this something that you felt was happening on like a day-to-day -day basis or more often than not with you having those responses? So maybe about this word that I've realized it big for me because I've had it. I could looking back, I've had it, <clears throat> excuse me, probably like right after I returned from Iraq in 2010, maybe 2011. So I got back in 2010, 2011 is when I started notice. Oh, I didn't notice it then, but I can track it back to then. My, my behavior, locking myself in a room. I was married with kids. My whole family's in the house. They're all downstairs. I'm locked up in a dark bedroom with all the clothes, the curtains closed and just the TV there wrapped up in a blanket by myself watching TV. The whole family, the wife and kids are downstairs having the time of their lives. And I'm wrapped up in a blanket in my bedroom, pitch black. And it's, my wife's like, my wife at the time is like, come on out. And you got food, we got something there. I'm good here. I didn't realize, I didn't think that was wrong with it. But now looking back, that was off. Yeah, then, sure. so when the pandemic started, I noticed myself getting depressed. I'm like sad. I'm like, like, what is going on? And then I'm like, I'm anxious. Like, I, I, I kid you not, Nick, this is the weirdest feeling. You wake up. So I know I, I need to call these people and talk to them about this. I need to call these tenants because I do property management too. I know I need to take a shower. I need to find some clothes. I gotta take my vitamins. I got I got a routine, but I wake up and I'm like, all right, I gotta do this. All right, me, me text this person back. Let me send this email. Oh, I gotta find my clothes. What am I gonna wear today? I was so this is this one particular day I, I can't forget. I was so distraught. I, my brain was in so many different directions. I couldn't focus on one thing long enough to complete. I'm talking about a simple task like brush my teeth. Go take your vitamins. That's the same thing I do every morning for the past 40 years. I was having a hard time doing it. I could, I was dark. Okay, I'm going to wear this. Oh, wait, I got to take my vitamins. Oh, wait, my text, I got to send a text message. I start running the shower water while I'm sending the text message. And then I put my phone down and then the water's running for 20 minutes. So I turn it off and I go back to finding my clothes and I go back. Where am I going to eat? By this time, two hours pass. And I hadn't completed one thing, not one thing that was complete. And I'm like, what is going on? And now I'm starting to worry. I'm like, I'm panicking now because I know I got to leave the house soon. I, I got to do something. The whole day was wasted. I didn't leave the house. I, I might've taken a shower around noon. I finally took a pill, took my vitamins, but my, I could not focus. And then it started happening more and more. And then it started turning into, oh my gosh, I'm anxious. I'm, it's happening again. And it's, what am I going to do? And then I get sad. I get depressed because now I feel like I'm a weakling. I'm not a man. You can't even, come on. You can't even get your stuff together enough to head to the office to get some work done. And now I'm like, I don't, my phone is blowing up. I don't want to talk on the phone. I'm scared every time my phone rings, every time my phone rings. I get a feeling in the pit of my stomach. Oh gosh, what is it now? Now I don't want to be around people. I'm my, my, one of my best friends, Wes Coons. He's a, the broker of the uh, firm I work for. 
and he tells you about the drunken monkey that sits on your shoulder. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, yeah, for but sure, for sure. For sure. Start telling you stuff like, man, why you know when you, when you want to reach out and call someone, it's man, why are you bothering them with your mess, man? Just deal with it, and you don't deal with it, and it's you get deeper into it. Then you think, man, I should probably should call someone. I should why don't answer your phone. You don't. You was just going to be somebody else with some more mess. So now I, it's hard for me to make money now because I, I need to be on my phone. I need to be in front of people. I need to. That's what real estate is, communicating with people and getting them, getting in front of them. Hey, listen, you have a real estate need. I am your real estate solution. I'm not doing that. So now I'm not making money. Now my bills are starting to pile up. Now I'm getting depressed. And it's just, a, it's a cycle. It's a cycle of, oh my gosh, I'm nervous and I'm not making money. And I'll get depressed because I'm not making money which turns into anxiety because I'm not making money, which turns into depression. And it's just, I, I'm like up here, down here, up and down. It's just, I can't shake this cycle. I need, I don't know what to do to get out of this freaking whirlwind of highs and lows. And that's, that's where I am right now, where I got to find a way. And then and I'll have sometimes the lucidity where I'm like, okay, I'm with it. Let me go, Donna, let me go. Run and make some money right now before it happens again. Let me go get those people right. Right, you know? right. And then have a sale. I have a closing. I'm like, okay, I'm doing good. And then it's like that drunken monkey starts talking to me again. And I'm like, man, my heart's fluttering. I think I'm going to have a panic attack over something that's nothing. Yeah. Why am I worried about it? I, imagine this. Imagine your youngest child. When your child was young, you're walking through Walmart. And you get that, you look down and your kid's not there. That feeling you get, where's the kid? Where's the kid? Where's the kid? And that panic you feel. Why am I feeling panic like that about what I'm going to have for dinner tonight? It's my heart is fluttering. I'm like, Ugh. you feel all everything your body's supposed to do in that fight or flight mode is there. And all you're thinking about is what are you going to eat for lunch? And you're thinking about, man, did I call that person back? Why am I thinking about a conversation I had 10 years ago? And getting that fluttered feeling in my chest and getting worked up about it again. Like it already happened. It's already over with. Why are you thinking about it and having these reactions? And that's, those are the questions I, I can't answer for myself right now. And yeah, yeah, man. But you know what? Number one, I appreciate you sharing that Yeah, just because like you and I, we've worked together and now looking at it now, I'm like, okay. I remember when, like, I was there and I was like, yo, let's get on the phones. Let's get on the phones. Let's get on the phones. And I'm all, like, going, like, going crazy. I'm like, you're like, yeah, I'll be there. And I'm like, all right, what time is that? Where's that right here? I think, number one, I think it's, it's good for everyone to hear that. Because here's the thing is everything that you just explained just now is, it's almost, and it's so crazy, bro. It's almost like you were just like, explaining like the whole blueprint of kind of what I've dealt with and felt sometimes, you know what I mean? There's times where I find myself in spots, in moments where I'm getting nervous, I'm getting anxious, I'm getting hyped up about something that's not really a threat, but because of what we've experienced and what we've gone through, man, it, we take everything now and we interpret it as a threat. Now, my question with that, like, I know we're talking about PTSD, but I, I kind of heard you like talking. I know part of 
when you're dealing with PTSD is that anxiety that happens around it. When you look back and look over these years, because one of the things that I think too, even that, that is a good thing is that you're at least aware of it. You know what I'm saying? You're aware of, okay, this is happening. Something is happening inside of me that's causing me to behave a certain way that's hurting me more than it's helping me. And I feel like when you look at with men, a lot of times, especially with men, because you brought up some really good points. You're talking about, okay, boom, I have these anxieties. It causes me to pull back from making money, making these calls. And then now I'm not making money. Then that causes anxiety, which then causes... So it becomes this like cycle that a lot of men are going through and we're just churning. We're just like trying to figure out, okay, like I want to make this money. I want to do what I need to do for my family, but I get in these spots where something in me like just takes over me and I, it's, I can't move. It's like, I can't progress forward. And number one, I think what is important is the fact that a lot of men deal with that. I think that's huge is that a lot of guys really deal with that issue of man. Okay. I had stuff that happened in my past. It locks me up. I know I want to make money. It's not the fact that I don't want to provide. It's not the fact that I don't want to want to be successful. It has nothing to do with that. It has the fact that I had some crap happen to me in the past that now it catches up with me and it locks me up. And I think one of my things, even with even having this conversation is that a lot of men get locked up and they think, okay, something's wrong with me. Nah, bro. Cause everything you were just explaining to me was like, I was like, damn, this guy is like reading, like he's writing the same story that I've been dealing with. Like, I'm like, wait a second. Hold on, man. This sounds really familiar for some right. reason. But my thing is, it's so important for us to recognize what is really happening there, man. Like what is really going on in those moments. And so. I feel like my, my, my next thing in question, and like I said, I appreciate you sharing that because I think that helps a lot of people understand, yo, it's not just me going through that. So I know you mentioned that, okay, you find yourself in those different spots. How did you, I guess the thing that I think about, and this is the thing that I struggled with a lot last year when I went through a lot of my own mental challenges. Cause like I said, like I, I before last year, I would always think I'm mentally tough. Nothing can bother me. Like, whatever, man, I'll just push through it. Like those same things that you talked about and feelings that you had, I'd have those same feelings, but I'd be like, all right, screw it. I'm just going to keep on going. And then blah, blah, blah. Until last year where my body was like, okay, like you think yeah. you can keep going. Right, I'm going right. to shut you down real quick uh -huh. and show you uh -huh. that I'm in control. Yeah. How have you learned? No, number one, since you learned how to be aware of it, how have you began to start maybe learning how to manage that? Or is that something that you're still trying to figure out? Like, how do I manage that? And how do I deal with those emotions and those feelings that want to lock me up when I know I have the potential to do a lot of things, you know what I'm saying? Can you talk on what you've tried to do to help that? For sure. So uh, you said, I just wanted to say this too. So when you're talking about that, man, yet that drunken monkey start talking and I all I laid out my pretty much my whole resume and I've always been a hard worker, but that, that drunken monkey told me, man, you're just being lazy. Get up and do something. And it's ah, man, I'm lazy. And it, it's just I'm just beating it's just beating me up. And I say this, I, there was a stretch earlier this year 
for about 23, 25 days, man. I was on my recliner. I slept there. I ate every meal there. Maybe I might have to go to Walmart, might have to go to the store. 20, probably a solid 25 days of me just in the house, just going from emotion to emotion, from up to down. And I wasn't leaving the house. I work. What's work? Even like I was getting leads for work and I just wasn't calling them back. I wasn't reaching out. And it was just, just totally enveloped. I was just totally engulfed with this reclusive to the extent I wasn't really talking on the phone. I wasn't leaving the house and nobody knew. So one day I decided I called my aunt and my aunt, my mom's sister, she lives pretty much made less than a mile from me. And I called her, I said, Hey, can I come over and talk to you for a minute? Say, yeah. I went and talked to her and my uncle, her husband, for about six hours. Six hours of just unfiltered, unadulterated, listen to me. And they had no idea what was going on. I felt a million times better. And I'm like, man, that's the cure right there. I just need to talk about it. And then some time passed and I had another situation come up and I'm like starting to see the familiar signs again. I'm panicky. I'm down. I'm depressed. And I know, man, if I just go to talk to them, I'll be okay. Why do you need to go talk to them? Why are you bothering me? That drunken monkey, bro. <laughs> here. Why can't you do this on your own? You're just being lazy. You're just being a punk. Yo, get up and do something. And it's just beating me up. You would think those are words of motivation. Nah. You might as well have been a bat just taking, beating me down. And I was right back in it until I finally said something to somebody and started getting, get it out. And to me, I think that's the key. Letting it be known how you're feeling and what you're going through, just to talk it, talk about, just to release it. And that, that helps me out a little bit. And that, it gives me enough space to at least go, go out and do something to, 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 to help myself a little bit, to help my situation. But uh, like I said, man, that self-talk, that down talk, that I just, you just want to recluse and be by yourself and don't be bothered feeling like a punk. Feeling, feeling weak, feeling less than, how did you become this? All of those things I hear to myself, and it's just, this can't be it. <laughs> this can't be the same person. Dang, that's crazy, bro. I think that's huge right there because I think, so I think for, first off, what I would say is I'm proud of you for going to find somebody to even talk to. Yeah. Because a lot of times, I think that's what I learned last year. Like when I was going through it, bro, and I had never experienced, like my whole life, bro, my whole life, I was like mentally tough. I was like, yeah, whatever. But in all reality, on the inside, bro, I was like a wreck, anxiety-wise and stuff. Yes. But on the outside, I was like, well, whatever, we'll just keep going. Yep. Last year, man, when I was going through it, man, and I was just like, bro, I was in a low spot, suicidal. I was like, yo, I can't do this no more. And I've had moments like that before in my life where like I was like, thinking, okay, I don't want to be here no more. I don't want yeah. to do that. But not to the extent that I had it last year. Mm. Last year, it felt like real. Wow. Before, it was more like, okay, you say that just because you don't want to deal with your situation. Like, I'm just trying to figure out how to get out of the situation. Yeah. Last year, it was like, okay, I'm having this feeling, but it's more, I really just want to carry this out because I don't want to deal with nothing. And I think 
when I change my mindset to realize that there are people around me, number one, that want to see me, they want to see me succeed. Yeah. They want to see me live. They want to see me do well. They yeah. want to see me su successful. And those people are there to hear what I'm going through. And when I finally was like, okay, let me get out of my own way and ask for help and say, yeah. hey, how, who can I find to talk to? And up, a lot of times, I wouldn't say it doesn't always matter, but for the most part, like you just mentioned, bro, a lot of it is just, I just need to tell somebody what yes. the heck's going on. Yes. I don't want to give you, I don't want you to give me an answer. You might not even have an answer, bro. You might not even know what I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to figure this out. Yeah. But a lot of times it's more just, man, how can I just find somebody that is willing enough to like, listen to me, willing enough to just be there, willing enough to just hear what I'm saying and then take that and be able to be able to help me move through that. And that's what I'm hearing for you was very key. You talking to your aunt, your uncle-in-law, just being able to sit down and say, hey, this is where I'm at mentally yeah. and I need help. One of the things that I think about, what do you think it was that got you to that point that made you reach out to them? What was it that you were just like, yo, I can't. You said it was like 25 days, bro. That's a long time to, well, really long time. you know? Yeah. What it was, it's so crazy. So I don't even know if you, I got a new car, right? Nah, I didn't know. You got it. Okay, guys, you guys. So the reason why. Maserati, I, baby? Maserati? No, not yet. <laughs> The reason why I finally got a new car is someone stole my freaking analytic converter off the bottom of my car. Oh, I, I, was, I was all the way to church. I stopped my car. And just this weird noise. I'm like, I knew automatically what it was. All right. So I couldn't drive my car. I needed a ride. So I reached out to my aunt and uncle. So, hey, can you guys give me a ride? This is what I got going on until my insurance come through and I get this, get this taken care of. So. We were talking, I was with them and I was still like kind of in my reclusive stage, but being around them, this regular conversation, they didn't know I had something going on. So then I think it was either the next day, that was Sunday, the next Monday or Tuesday, whatever day it was, I reached out, hey, can you guys kind of come over? Can I come over and talk? Yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. Six hours, bro. I was just like. Letting my whole soul out. When I was two, I fell off the bed and I was giving them everything. And they were just real, just seeing how receptive they were and how much they cared. You can just talk to them. You can see the, the amount of love and care they have for me in their face. And they were just like, I had no idea. No, that's not the case at all. Just reassuring me everything that negative I had to say, they reminded me that, no, that's not even true. You have a history. Your history says that you're not lazy. You're one of the hardest workers I know. What do you mean you feel dumb? What? Just the way you're speaking, the way you articulate, know that you're not dumb. So I'm like, man, maybe I'm not. It takes that, to, the, it takes family, it takes someone to let you remind you, hey, don't listen to that drunken monkey. That's not reality. And that's when I knew, okay, wait a minute. If I felt so strongly about this and I thought that this was my reality, there's something not right, something's off. So that's why now I, when I can recognize it, I can see the beginning stages of it. And sometimes I can catch it. And I'll be honest, sometimes I can't stop it. But I know to look for it. And I know I probably need to reach out to someone before it gets too bad.
So would you say that based on experiencing that and like what you've gone through that reaching out probably is probably the most important, like probably one of the most important things that kind of helped you out. Would you say that was really pivotal for you? Definitely, definitely, definitely. Reaching out to anybody, even when you were talking about what you were going through and the feelings of suicide, I didn't have those feelings. I mean, listen, be honest, I was like, man, it was like so out of control of myself. I could not control my emotions and every thought was like so absolute. I, it was one day I was so frustrated. I was like, man, I should go start fighting with somebody. Well, start fighting. <laughs> I don't want to hurt myself. I want to hurt somebody else. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, no, that's really crazy. That's you really should come crazy. to jujitsu class with me, bro. It worked out, but yeah. it's just like, it was literally like that. Man. And I'm like, okay, let me go talking to someone. First of all, it holds you accountable. It holds you accountable for your actions. It makes you like, okay, they know what I got going on and they're gonna, they're gonna, hey, Todd, just checking in on you, man. You doing okay? Oh man, yeah, I actually, I am feeling okay. Or no, actually I'm not. So it gives you accountability, especially when you start getting those suicidal thoughts. You, somebody knows that you're not okay and they need to know, be checking in on you. Or if I'm, if you haven't heard from me in a while, reach out. So that, that's definitely a big part. And then the second part of reaching out, it helps you verbalize what you got going on and you hear yourself saying it. Sometimes that's, wait a minute. That's not right. Oh, hold on. So it's, it gives you a chance to actually hear what you're saying and what you're thinking. And it's now that's not right. And then you get to, the third thing is you get the counsel of an outside person, third party person who's they're not in your head. They're seeing you from a different angle. You get a different vantage point of yourself. So, okay. So I'm not crazy. <laughs> yeah. For sure, for sure. That is good, bro. Man, that's good. That's really good. So do you feel like, all right, with that, because I had questions to ask, but I think you, can, you, you really, well, the way that you just explained kind of your own story, I was just like, all right, that's exactly what I was like <laughs> thinking in my head. Like, yeah. I was like, all right, well, if we're going through that. Yeah. So now at this point, do you feel that the awareness, because I think one of the things that we talk about with one, one of the things I think, and this is me personally, and I've been learning about PTSD, learning about how it affects us, learning about the anxiety part of it, learning how it impacts us. Do you think that you being aware of those things, of being able to reach out, the benefits to reaching out, catching yourself when you start getting in those modes, since that has happened and you've learned that, do you feel that's helped you to process a lot of your own emotions before they get too hyped up. Cause I, th I think that's what the thing is, right? Like a lot of times with guys will have something happen. It'll bother us. We'll be like, okay, I ain't gonna say nothing. I ain't gonna say nothing. I ain't gonna say nothing. And then finally it's boom. It just blows up. You know what I mean? Do you think that process that you recognize with reaching out to other people and sharing those thoughts and feelings, do you think that's helped you not escalate that high, go down that road? For sure. So it's stopping an out of control train or a train that's running out of control, you know, on a track, a locomotive. It's easy to stop in the beginning because it's got low momentum. But the longer it starts to gain momentum, the faster it's going, the harder it is to stop it. And it's the sooner you can 
get to it, get in front of it, the easier it is to stop it. Once this, once this got full head steam, good luck stopping that thing. So that's true to, in my opinion, it's true to, with my situation, the sooner I could get in front of it, the more in control I could be of it and likely to deal with it versus me sitting in it, stewing in it five days into it. And I got this whole almost alternate reality going on because I created this whole situation in my head and now it's, a, it's this whole new reality going on and if i would have gotten in front of it a few days earlier or talked to somebody i could have helped me rational rationalize things things aren't actually that bad there is a way out there is so i can be up here and be talked down to here and then actually be able to manage things Right. Now that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's one of the main things that I definitely learned a lot just over these recent years, man, is how important it is really to find people that you can share some of that with a lot. I feel like for, and this is just me for men, I think a lot of times, yes, we want the solution. We want an answer, but we really want a space where we can share what we're struggling with and not be judged about it. Yes. So yes. you could tell me, you can share with me that experience that you just had and how it Im impacted you and how it impacted you mentally and how like you were, it affected you. But as a brother, as another man, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't look at you and be like, bro, just get over that. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, exactly. No, because that doesn't, exactly. but here's my thing. Here's the key thing though. Here's the key thing that I think about is when I hear your whole story, and I hear, okay, you started EMT at 16. You've seen crazy things. You went through 9-11. You're in the war. You come back home. When I hear that whole entire story, I'm like, okay, it makes sense that you would logically see those things and not being able to learn how to understand how to process it and work through those things. It makes I'm not saying that it's like a thing where it's, oh, it's okay, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, what right. are those things where right. it's like, okay, logically, when I hear your story, I'm like, okay, bro, I can understand like where you're coming from and where that struggle is really coming from. And, uh, and I think that's really important, man. I appreciate you sharing that, bro. Cause a lot of times, man, a lot of times, bro, as guys were just like, ah, and that's what really got me really like my wheels turning. Like I mentioned to you when I was talking the other day, I was like yeah. on a whole nother direction and I was like. Ah, but there's all this stuff going on, but guys don't want to talk about that. And then, yep. then the groups that I would get into where guys were talking about it, it would be like, we would get together and it would be like, I'm clowning you. So everything oh, is like really? a joke, wow. not like in a, not like in a serious way. Cause you know, yeah. like guys joke, we joke, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. just be like, ah, like come right. on and we're talking about the clown and he's nah, but I'm like hurting on some yeah, this, like, you know what I mean? Like right. it's not the same. It's not the yeah. same. It's like, uh, I need somebody that's going to be like, bro. I get what you're saying, man. How do we work through this? I'll yeah. just listen, help how I can. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Sure. Wow. As we landed, man, we, this has been a great, man. I'm, I really have enjoyed this conversation, man. It, it's opened my eyes to a lot of things. Thanks. I think one of the things I would think about and I would ask you is, so if you were talking to other guys, you're talking to other guys and my, my focus now is, has been on our mental well-being, just because I see the impact that it has. This is not just a me thing. This is my family thing, my generation thing, yeah. my legacy yeah. thing, right? Yeah. What kind of advice 
what kind of advice or what kind of suggestions or kind of encouragement would you give guys? I know we talked about reaching out to other people, which is important, but really thinking about it, man, what would you tell some guys that find themselves in that situation where they're like, man, I'm going through it. I really don't know how to figure this out. What do I do when I want to close up in my shell and like recluse in my shell? What kind of advice would you give some guys that may be finding themselves struggling with those type of situations, man? Definitely, man. I would say that you're not alone because one of the things that, that I go through is, man, I bet you Nick's not hand, handling it like this. I bet you my brother, I bet you so-and-so is not, they would be able to handle this. You're not less than, there's other people going through something similar or not the same thing. There, you can talk about it. When you said, like you said earlier about the guys making jokes, man, when you get like this, you're completely naked. And for someone to say hi or make a joke about it, no, nah, man, my insecurities are on full display. So, you know, you really have to, I understand the fear of that. And you have to take a chance and reach out to someone that you trust to see your insecurities, to see your vulnerabilities, and definitely talk about it and seek someone who wise. I'm in church, you know, I teach a middle schools to high schoolers. And one of the kids, a young man, just graduated high school. He said he's dealing with some anxiety. And he said he can't even go and talk to his parents about it. He don't feel like he can talk to his parents. So I'm in the process of trying to reach out to him, man, talk to me. If you can't talk to your parents, talk to me. And that's the biggest thing I want to drive home to him and to anyone else. Find someone you can talk to, someone who can give you some, some real counsel, some real wisdom, and not going to put you down or laugh at you or push it off. Because I know that feeling is an awful feeling. But man, definitely find someone that you can talk to and help you through it. I feel you, my bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel you. I definitely, I definitely think that's good. So if, and I'm just throwing this out there and I put you on the spot totally, but if guys are watching this and they see your story and they hear what you've gone through, is it okay for them to reach out to you and say, hey, hey how can I, you know, Ty, can I talk to you? You know what I mean? Like, please do please yeah, do I, gotcha. you know i think I, I have a friend in fayetteville who is huge in the military community he helps with he does a lot of the suicides awareness the the the, the 22 man 22 22 yeah. veterans a day I love it. I yeah love it. i love it yeah 22 veterans a day kill themselves they succumb to suicide and uh, he's big in that community he does a lot of memorials and things like that enrique Rillo down in Fayetteville, North Carolina. If you're in that area, look them up. But uh, I think that's going to be part of my life's ministry, my life's work, helping people who have situations similar to mine, PTSD, depression, anxiety, you know, because I don't believe in learning something and keeping it to myself. I'm going to help as many people as I can because I know what it's like to feel alone. I know what it's like to be afraid and don't, not able to share with people or to feel judged or be vulnerable. So I'm someone, this is, a, I don't mean judge free. I don't care what the situation is, what the thing that you're battling with. There's nothing too, nothing too risque or too 
offline, off, off limits to talk about, man, hit me up and you get a safe judge-free zone to talk about whatever you want. And I'll give Nick my information to, to put up there. Reach out to me any way possible. Email, text, phone call. And uh, man, you're safe with me. Gotcha, gotcha. And then how would people get in touch with you? I know you don't want to put all your phone numbers in out there, but can we reach you like on like social media? Yeah, or yeah. Something like that. Where yeah, I'll, I'll, put my phone number, I'll put my phone number, email, social media, all that stuff up there. My name oh, yeah, is, you're a real estate agent. Huh? Hey, look, yeah, I'm a real estate agent. <laughs> I'm shameless plugs all day long. Yeah, I'll definitely put that out. Yeah, uh, my, my social media, my name is Tyreen, T-Y-R-E-N-E, Reed, R-E-D. Tyreen Reed on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram. You can reach out to me anyway, reed at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up at 757-528-8958. Again, that's 757 757- Five two eight eight nine five eight, and I'm not. I'm no by any means of my counselor or therapist or anything like that. I'm just a. I'm just a shoulder and an ear, man. So anybody you need it, hit me up. That's good, man. I appreciate that definitely. And I'll put whatever. Whenever we put every everything out, I'll put some of that info in there and yeah. buy you. Make sure that's cool. Yeah. But I think that's good, man. I think that. I've, especially the last couple of years, I don't believe in coincidences. Yeah. I don't believe in the fact that the fact that we go through different things and we experience different things that connect us together with other people for a specific purpose. Yeah. And when I listen to your story, bro, from 16 years old, and I know Jersey City, bro. Yeah. I've been through Jersey. Jersey City ain't not, you ain't this, this ain't no suburbs. Sure. Seeing those things and experiencing those things at such a young age going through all those different things, man, being able to just share some of your struggles, some of the things that you've gone through, I think will help a lot of men out. And that's really my my heart right now is when I went through a lot of things, I was like, dang, I can't be the only brother going through this and right. trying to fake like I'm doing all right. Like I'm all, everything is good. Uh-huh. And I'm yeah. like, oh God, yeah. I'm really like, so I'm like, bro, I know a lot of other brothers got to be probably feeling the same. So I definitely... Appreciate it, bro. Anything else that you could probably think about? Anything else you may want to say or relay to, towards anybody or that you have on your mind? And I just close with this. You're not alone. There's, there's other people out there like myself, like Nick, who are in similar situations, who struggle, who don't have it all together. And uh, you owe it to yourself to get help. You owe it to your, yourself to reach out to someone. You might think that you're a burden on people. Be a burden. Hey, yeah. burden me if you need to. It's all good. But uh, definitely don't suffer alone. There's uh, there's people out there, man, that care about you and want to see you do good. For sure, man. I like that. You're not a burden to anybody. That is bro. definitely good, man. Good. Ty, bro, hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time together. Man, I appreciate you just being honest, man, just sharing a lot of that story, man. I knew, like I said, when I was driving down the street, I was like, man, who can I... And I was like, you know what? And that you were the first person that came to my head. And I was like, all right. Yeah. I've been in this mode. I've been in this season now where if God is like, hey, go this way, I'm like, do it. All right, let's just do it. Right? So, it. Yeah. And initially I thought that this was only going to be like a 20 minute, 30 minute. We're, we're about an hour and 20 minutes into it. And I'm like, Damn, this brother telling me a whole month about to write a book, bro. Yeah, yeah. Book on this. So, <laughs> but man, I I really appreciate that, bro. And I think that it's gonna help out a lot of guys, man. 
And just hearing that story, bro, and just being able to reach out and just even piggybacking off of what you said, I know how we can get into our own little, little reclusive, man, I'm always here, bro. If you need to man, hit me up, definitely. Need to, I know a lot of times I'm the same way. I'd be like, nah, he all right. He ain't. <laughs> you know what I mean? But sure. I've recently learned now nah, I got to reach out to brothers, man. I got to, yeah. cause we got yeah. a lot to give to this community. We got a lot to give to this world. I think. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You're, you're, think about it. Your experience that you've gone through EMT, being in war, being in the military, experiencing that and experiencing and going through those different emotions, man, are definitely meant, meant to help somebody else. Mm -hmm. I definitely appreciate it, man. Much love to you, bro. 